Welcome to Dishing Up Nutrition with licensed nutritionists and dietitians from Nutritional Weight and Wellness. We explain the connection between what you eat and how you feel. Stay tuned for practical, real-life solutions for healthier living through real food nutrition. Slow down, you move too fast. You got to make the morning last. Just kicking down the cobblestones. Looking for fun and feeling groovy. Dishing Up Nutrition, brought to you by Nutritional Weight and Wellness. As a dietitian over the years, I have had new clients who make appointments with me and they come in because they recently received blood tests from their doctor that showed or informed them that they are now either pre-diabetic or possibly even diabetic. And for many people, that number on the paper serves as a stimulus or something as a motivator that something needs to change in what they're doing with their lifestyle. So as again, as a dietitian, when people come in to see me, the biggest question that they have typically is, okay, now what should I be eating for my blood sugar, for my diabetes, for my pre-diabetes? So today, Nikki and I are going to answer those very same questions. So we're going to break it down for you and talk about the foods to eat that are helpful and the foods to try to avoid or not to eat that are harmful for blood sugar control. So my name is Leah Kleintrote. I'm a registered and licensed dietitian. And joining me in this discussion today is Nikki Daring, who is also a registered and licensed dietitian. Nikki and I both see clients at Nutritional Weight and Wellness, and we help many clients who are pre-diabetic or diabetic change their eating habits to take charge of their blood sugar. And Nikki and I also both have some personal stories of our own about blood sugar control and diabetes. So we want to take a little bit of time throughout our hour here together today to just share some of our personal experiences. That is so true, Leah. Good morning. Good morning. (laughs) Good morning, listeners. Uh, Listeners, I have a question for you. Is giving up sugar, such as breads, pizza, pasta, crackers, and all of those high sugar foods easy? Of course it's not. I mean, we know that. It's because sugar makes just about anything taste good, so it makes it hard to give it up. At Nutritional Weight and Wellness, we encourage clients who are pre-diabetic or diabetic to first change their mindset about food. We ask them to do this by preparing their mind and help and find their motivation. When working with clients, we often ask, what do you want to accomplish with our appointment? Or maybe what is your goal? What is your motivation to give up some of your favorite foods or possibly your favorite foods? Mm-hmm. Particularly if some of your favorite foods are those high sugar foods. Mm-hmm. So today's topic, diabetes, it's a big one. Yep. And it affects, I believe, all of us. I think some of us have diabetes. Some of us um, are affected because we have a loved one or a friend or we've heard about it a lot in the news. It's, it's I think everyone can say, Yes, I've heard about it or know about diabetes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, even for me, I had gestational diabetes when I was pregnant with my son. And knowing now what I know <laughs> really is critical and crucial for my blood sugar control. And I've learned that eating real food is a huge component of that blood sugar balance. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So, yes, Nikki, we definitely want to hear, you know, a little bit more about your personal journey and experiences and what you learned about that importance of controlling blood sugar, especially during your pregnancy. And I also wanted to point out some of those foods that you mentioned before. We, We call them high sugar foods, but I would say a lot of people don't think about some of these foods as being high sugar. So you mm-hmm. mentioned bread. You know, when was the last time you thought that bread was a sugary or high sugar food or yeah. pizza or crackers and things like that? So maybe like some of the listeners ears are burning right now. Like I haven't heard you mention things like candy or cookies or anything like that. All you've said is pizza and bread. So, <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. So for some people, you know, that, you know, giving up sugar or even trying to cut back on those high sugar foods is sometimes almost like giving up your best friend or or almost kind of giving up on, on a relationship that you've had for a really long time. And maybe, you know, there may be some listeners out there that get a high even from eating a handful of Skittles or drinking that morning coffee mocha that has those pumps of high fructose corn syrup uh, mm-hmm. syrups in them. So if you are one of those people, it it may really be very challenging to start trying to, again, either cut back or eliminate these foods altogether, at least for the first couple of weeks. And Nikki, you and I were talking about this as we were preparing for the show um, that, you know, giving it up initially it can definitely be hard. But with each day that passes, it becomes easier to be free of the sugar and free of the processed carbohydrates And from what I've noticed in counseling clients is one of the best parts is, is that you don't have to A, be perfect or B, do this for months on end before you even start seeing little results. Like it's even within days, three Mm -hmm. to four days, you can really notice a huge difference in your energy levels, in your pain levels, in your moods, in your sleep, because blood sugar is something that changes so quickly based on the foods that we choose day in and day out that we can make a ton of headway and you can feel so much better so quickly um, just because those blood sugars change so rapidly. Yes, I would 100% agree with everything you just said, Leah. <laughs> it doesn't, you don't have, perfection is not what we ask and it it can happen rather quickly. Mm-hmm. So now I want people to think about this. What is your personal motivation to be free of sugar and processed carbs? Like I said, mentioned earlier, I had gestational diabetes. So mm-hmm. my you know, big motivation is to prevent prediabetes and heal my insulin resistance mm-hmm. and to prevent type 2 diabetes in the future. That's my motivation. Perhaps our listeners want to avoid maybe a foot infection like their grandfather or grandmother may have um, experienced because those infections can occur with those advanced diabetes mm-hmm. diagnosis. Or maybe someone listening wants to avoid becoming blind from the damaging effects of high blood sugars. Um, I used to work at a clinic years ago, an eye clinic, I should mention. And um, that is actually where I learned about how diabetes damages the eye. This was before I was even a dietitian, So Mm -hmm. I had no idea. And the doctors would show the images of the eyes and they would say, oh, yeah, right here is the damage to the blood vascular systems of the eye. And it was just, um, and that damage happened because of the high blood sugars. So yeah. it was kind of a cool visual and it stuck with me even today as a dietitian. I, I had no idea. Yeah. Well, it made a big impact on you. And probably when you, again, when you can see mm-hmm. some of that damage, it's a powerful reminder to the clients or patients themselves too. Like, oh, this is something that I need to take seriously. 
Exactly. And they could actually say, go to your doctor because I believe you have blood sugar issues or diabetes. Absolutely. So the other thing, too, that people might be wanting to avoid is um, memory loss or Alzheimer's disease, which maybe they read about in a research article. Um, So all things that you want to kind of avoid that diabetes diagnosis and high blood sugars. Mm hmm. Yep. So here is just a little bit more interesting information, kind of building on what Nikki just said. So there was an article that was published in May of 2020. So just a little over a year ago now. And the title of this article was Type 3 Diabetes and Its Role Implications in Alzheimer's Disease. So I wanted to just read a couple of sentences to you from the abstract of the paper. So if anybody is familiar with reading research papers, usually there's a little summary at the beginning of that paper. They call it the abstract. And so we're just going to take a couple couple of quotes from that abstract there. And what this abstract said is the exact connection between Alzheimer's and type 2 diabetes is still in debate. However, poorly controlled blood sugar may increase the risk of developing Alzheimer's. And this relationship is so strong that some have called Alzheimer's diabetes of the brain or type 3 diabetes. So that might be new for listeners hearing, mm-hmm. wow, there's diabetes type 3. I yep. mean, I've heard of other types. We mentioned gestational diabetes earlier. So I thought this was a perfect opportunity um, to just talk a little bit about the different types of diabetes. So mm-hmm. um, type 1 diabetes is um, when your body doesn't produce enough insulin on its own because of damage to the pancreas. Mm-hmm. Insulin comes from pancreas, the pancreas. And so people that have type 1 diabetes need to have insulin to live. Right. They require that yep. insulin, no question. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Now, type 2 diabetes is a little different. It's more of a progressive long-term type of diabetes, and it happens when we're eating maybe too many excess sugar, too much processed carbs, and it causes the pancreas to produce too much insulin, then which coats the cells and limits the delivery of that sugar into the mm-hmm. cell for energy, and the um, and that damages the um, cell, and then over time that can become type two diabetes, and I think mm-hmm. that's a perfect time to take a break. Yeah, so we'll re- revisit you know that kind of discussion yeah. when we get back on the other side of our break. So you are listening to Dishing Up Nutrition, brought to you by Nutritional Weight and Wellness. And if you have a family member who has prediabetes or type 2 diabetes, or you yourself have these diagnoses and you're puzzled over what to eat, this is the show for you that will give you some ideas about foods that increase blood sugar and foods to help lower and stabilize those blood sugars. And we'll be right back. Welcome back to Dishing Up Nutrition. Almost 50% of adults in the U.S. are either diabetic or or pre-diabetic. To understand what foods increase the risk of developing pre-diabetes or type 2 diabetes, I suggest taking one of our online courses. It's called Reducing the Risk of Pre-Diabetes and Type 2 Diabetes, a perfect topic for that goes along with our show today. Mm-hmm. From now until August 31st, you can take this class for only $10. So call 651-699-3438 to take advantage of this great class and this great offer. Invest an hour, only an hour of your time to really understand the power of real food. So before break, we were talking about the types of diabetes. So we talked about type one diabetes, type two, kind of how pre-diabetes and insulin resistance goes 
develops into type 2 diabetes. Yep. And there's one other diabetes that I wanted to mention was um, gestational diabetes. Um, so it was something I mentioned earlier that I had mm-hmm. with when I was pregnant with my son. And this one really occurs um, later, well, not later in pregnancy, but mid-ish mm-hmm. later of pregnancy. So after week 20, usually you're tested, I can't even remember, around week 25 or 26 yep. of pregnancy. And um, it usually occurs um, because of some kind of insulin resistance. Uh, For me, it was an interesting story because I was totally adverse to sugar for the first time in my life. I was like, I don't even want to look at sugar. I don't want to look at breads, pastas, even fruit made my stomach turn. Mm. So it was kind of shocking when I got the diagnosis. And um, my thought is um, it was developed because of how I was eating Prior to my pregnancy, Mm -hmm. I had that insulin resistance from eating low fat for years um, as a dietitian and eating, you know, portion sized high sugar foods like gummy bears. Um, And then as a teenager, I was drinking a lot of soda and a lot of processed foods. So I think that led to that gestational diabetes. Yeah, it typically goes away at the end of your pregnancy, which mine did. It was gone. poof. Mm -hmm. And but did that insulin resistance go away? No. I still had that and I still deal with that today. So those are the types of diabetes, um, you know, that there's several types is basically where we're going with that. Yeah, absolutely. So back to type two diabetes. So it, again, it doesn't happen overnight. It is a slow progressive condition. And like we mentioned, it's, you know, insulin resistance kind of goes into prediabetes, kind of goes into type two diabetes. And that process can take years. And usually it comes from eating too many processed car- carbs or high sugar foods for a really long time. Here's an example of a high sugar breakfast. And this breakfast that I'm about to talk about is classic Nikki in middle school and high school. I mean, this was like, <laughs> oh, yeah, I've that sounds like what I ate. Mm-hmm. Um, so big bowl of breakfast cereal, maybe one and a half or two cups with skim milk poured on top. A little sugar sprinkled on top for, of course, you know, flavor. Yep. And along with maybe a slice of toast and a glass of orange juice. If you have just, so if you ate that breakfast, you just consumed about 160 grams of carbs. And a breakfast really should not contain more than 30 grams of carbs. So you can kind of see we're going from 160 and really, we should only be eating 30. Yep, that's a, wi- a wide... A wide berth. Yes, <laughs> yeah. exactly. When your body converts that 160 grams of carbs into glucose, your body has about 40 teaspoons of glucose or sugar to deal with. And your body may only be able to manage about a quarter of that amount at one time. So we're talking about maybe 10 teaspoons. And perhaps even less. I know that we really kind of say less Air is better. On the side of less. Yeah. Yep. So rather than 160 grams of carbs, let's try and do 30 grams of carbs, which would be a lot easier to manage your blood sugars with that amount of carbs. And how we're getting that number that how are you getting carbs to teaspoons of sugar? Mm-hmm. We're just taking four grams of carbs, um, which you can get on a food label yep. and dividing it, um, dividing that number like the 160 by four, and that equals uh, teaspoons. So that's where we got the teaspoons. So four grams of carbs equals one teaspoon of sugar. Yep, exactly. So... So let's break that down even a little bit more, Nikki, where, okay, if we we had this high sugar breakfast, 
that was the cereal, the skim milk, maybe some sugar sprinkled on top of that, the toast, the the orange juice. Again, very high carbohydrate, high sugar breakfast there. 160 grams of carbs. So what does 30 grams of carbohydrates look like? So let's just do a quick example of that. What would be a better breakfast example? So something, a better breakfast example that would fit in that 30 grams of carbs would be, you know, either a couple of eggs and some sausage or some sausage links. And so again, that's protein, getting very little carbohydrate from there. We do want color, colorful carbohydrates. We want our our vegetable carbohydrates still to come in there because they're very nutrient rich, very fiber rich. And so say if you did those sausage links with a cup of shredded cabbage um, and something like that, that would be about four grams of carbohydrates. So again, you get a lot of cabbage for very little carbohydrate. And then you can round out that carbohydrate amount with about half a cup of mashed sweet potatoes, or if you maybe if you had grilled or, or roasted some uh, red baked potatoes, mm-hmm. you know, the night before having a half a cup of that will get you somewhere in the ballpark of 20 to 25 grams of carbohydrates. So if you did that, you know, cup of cabbage and about a half a cup of some kind of starch like those potatoes, that'll get you right in that ballpark of 30 grams of carbohydrates. Really yummy. And yep, very yummy, delicious. Who doesn't love a little sausage in the morning? Mm-hmm. Um, and you saute all of that, you know, maybe you saute that cabbage with some butter, some olive oil just to get those, those mm-hmm. stabilizing fats in there. But that's the kind of breakfast that's going to um, give you an energy boost in the morning, but not crash you an hour or two later. Mm-hmm. Yep, mm-hmm. your brain will be happy. Absolutely. <laughs> And so it is a fact that high sugar or high glucose levels in your blood cause problems for many different parts of your body. Nikki, you mentioned a couple of those before, your eyes being one of those, your brain, you just mentioned that, um, your heart, your kidneys especially, because these areas in the body have little tiny blood vessels in them that you sometimes you can only see like microscopically or with really advanced technology. But it's these little tiny blood vessels that when sugar kind of gets out of control, these are the ones that tend to sustain most of the damage from that high blood sugar. So over time, the stress from that high carbohydrate eating, that high sugar eating causes things like kidney failure to set in. And then, you know, long term, if that continues to progress, then we're talking about kidney dialysis is going to be needed eventually to support that kidney function. So think about all of those future health problems you could have. If you choose to continue eating some of these high sugar foods uh, that, you know, that's eventually what ended up being the cause of the pre-diabetes and type 2 diabetes, well, eventually it causes some of those organs to whittle away as well. Yes. And I think this is a perfect time to kind of explain insulin. Mm-hmm. And so insulin's job, it's a hormone in our body. And it what it does is carry that sugar into the cell. So that's what we talk about, the blood sugar and that insulin kind of balance. Yep. So insulin resistance blocks the delivery of sugar into the cell, resulting in less energy. So long term, when cells are deprived of glucose sugar, it damages the cells. Even hearing loss can be one of the first indications of that oh. damage happening, which was new for me. I, yeah. I, doing research for the show, it was it was new. Yeah, so. absolutely. Well, and again, that's not one that people typically think about a lot, but maybe something that, that doctors who test the ears and stuff, that's something that they, they do see. 
So we will pick up on our topic on the other side of break. You are listening to Dishing Up Nutrition. Many people today believe that diabetes is irreversible and people with diabetes, they're just destined to suffer ongoing and progressive decline with their health from heart disease, kidney failure, Alzheimer's disease, and so forth. But it is clear from the evidence that diabetes is controllable and even reversible with nutritional lifestyle changes. So we will be talking about that topic more on the other side of break, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Dishing Up Nutrition. As a dietitian and someone who has struggled with sugar cravings, I realize that I personally need support maintaining a healthy, low-sugar diet. I also need someone to remind me to exercise, to get eight hours of sleep, um, maybe to eat my lunch rather than work through my lunch, (laughs) and choose sparkling water over maybe that glass of wine. When I need support, I make an appointment with my nutritionist every maybe two to three weeks so I can avoid any of my future diabetes concerns and just keep on track. We all need that support. So at Nutritional Weight and Wellness, we believe that getting control over your blood sugar numbers is one of the most important factors for long-term health. I highly recommend that you sign up for that online course, Reducing the Risk of Pre-Diabetes and Type 2 Diabetes, and watch it from the comfort of your own home. I also suggest that you set up an appointment with one of the nutritional weight and wellness dietitians or nutritionists, which we help our clients every day with balancing their blood sugars. Yep. That's one of our our major foundations or major tenants. Mm -hmm. And following a plan that is designed just for you to bring your blood sugar numbers down will help you be successful. It improves your health in so many other ways. Um, We encourage you to check with your health insurance company, actually, because we're finding more and more clients have checked with their insurances and that their insurances are covering nutrition therapy or or meeting with dietitians. So if you have questions either about insurance or what an appointment entails or or what might be the right path for you, you can give us a call at 651-699-3438. And remember, we do also do appointments via Zoom or via phone. So yes, even if you live far, far away from all of our Twin Cities offices, it's still possible to set up your appointment and to meet with one of our nutritionists and dietitians. Yeah, I think I see a lot of clients with insurance coverage now. Mm-hmm. So yes. it's so nice that they have that option. Yes, it's definitely been increasing over the last few years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so before break, we were kind of talking about um, what caught, you know, what can ca- happen if you have high blood sugars. And so, and the choices we have to make every day about the food we're eating. So it is a choice, the choice we have to make each and every day, each and every bite of food we put in our mouth. So it's our choice. Are you choosing high sugar foods or are you choosing lower carb, higher nutrient foods? Everyone, even me, knows how hard it can be to maintain a healthy diet, an eating plan low in sugar and high in nutrients, which is the exact diet to manage blood sugar levels and avoid type 2 diabetes. We understand that our bodies are hardwired to prefer sweets. So we must know, or we must use our intellect, we must use our brain and our knowledge to overcome that desire for sweets. One thing I do to stay motivated is check my own blood sugars. Mm -hmm. Um, And that really helps me 
keep on track. And I learned how to check them when I had gestational diabetes. I had to check my blood sugars a lot. Yeah. And now I test after certain foods I eat because I'm curious and to see if my numbers are high or if they're within normal ranges. And if they're high, I avoid that food or I simply say next time I got to eat a smaller portion of it. So and we'll talk a little bit more about the numbers in a little bit. Mm -hmm. too. Yeah. Well, and just to piggyback a little bit on that, Nikki, I um, tested my own blood sugar during my pregnancy as well. I did that for a couple of weeks in lieu of doing the typical glucola, um, you know, gestational diabetes screening, you know, around like that week Mm -hmm. 26, week 28. Um, and yeah, I, I thought it was really interesting and maybe that's just me being a dietitian and just, again, testing those blood sugars, testing out what foods my body did well with and which carbs, especially specifically tended to spike my blood sugar. And so that is something if the, for the listeners out there, you don't have to, you don't have to have a prescription. You don't have to have a diagnosis of diabetes to be curious and just to go out and get a monitor and test your blood sugar and test it in the fasting in the morning or test those blood sugars after meals and see what foods and, and specifically what carbohydrates your body and your blood sugar likes best. So this may come as a surprise to some of you out there, but about half of adults in the U.S. are either pre-diabetic or diabetic. All right. So let's say that again. 50% of adults in the U.S. are either pre-diabetic or diabetic. And every 17 seconds, one American is diagnosed with diabetes. So this is this is an alarming rate. And, and as trends would say, it's not really heading in the right direction right now. The youngest person ever to develop type 2 diabetes was three and a half years old. And that breaks my heart a little, little bit as a mama, right? Mm-hmm. I remember, and you do too, because we were talking about this, Nikki, remember when um, type 1 diabetes used to be called juvenile Juvenile. onset Mm -hmm. diabetes, and then the other terminology, which is now called type 2 diabetes, was called adult onset diabetes. Well, they had to switch that terminology because this is a perfect example. All of a sudden, we started seeing more of the type 2 diabetes, more of that insulin resistance-driven diabetes showing up in younger and younger populations, our teenagers and our kids. So fortunately for this particular three-and-a-half-year-old, it was caught early, and they were able to make the necessary lifestyle and dietary changes to reverse or, or to negate some of that diabetes. But I mean, again, just reading this and knowing that even at three and a half years old, our our children are not as resilient, you know, to some of these foods as maybe sometimes we think they are. It just continues to reinforce for me as a mother that balanced eating is important across the lifespan. So starting as our kids are starting to eat foods and continuing on until the day we die, basically, Mm -hmm. that balanced eating and eating those real whole foods and making sure our blood sugars are in check is really important for everyone's health. So that's why, you know, I I choose to try to avoid, you know, offering my child that snack size baggie of Cheerios to nibble on throughout the day because that's just going to be pure carbohydrates that's going to set 
my son off on a blood sugar roller coaster and he's turning three in a week. We've are, we're already dealing with more, you know, more big emotions and things like that. Well, I don't need to layer on, you know, a blood sugar roller coaster on top of that. That's kind of how I think about it. So I really make the best effort that I can. And again, not always perfect, but I make the best effort that I can to make sure that I'm offering you know, a balance of those macronutrients, getting some good fats in there, getting some protein into them in addition to some of those carbohydrates. Yes, I can relate to that blood sugar roller coaster in my son who's going to be five next month. So yes, if there's too much sugar, you can tell. Yeah, Bouncing off the walls. Absolutely. Maybe a little sass comes out. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. I When I'm teaching about blood sugars to classes or clients and we're talking about kids, I'll, I'll even say, you know, kids wear their hearts on their sleeves a little bit more than us adults do. We kind of have some of that frontal Mm -hmm. low brain development that keeps our emotions and our actions in check, but kids don't have that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for us adults, a low blood sugar just might mean that we're hangry, but for a kid that might mean a meltdown or a tantrum Mm -hmm. or they're slapping their sister or brother. And that's where some of those behaviors can really start to magnify. Exactly. Yeah. So, Leah, how did it happen that nearly half of the U.S. adult population has a blood sugar problem? And doing re- research um, for today's show, I actually was, you know, looking at our website mm-hmm. and kind of stumbled upon a article that was written five years ago, so in 2016. And um, it was called Preventing Diabetes, You Have the Power to Choose Wisely. And it was really great. It really walked through a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, the beginning of the article says today, so in 2016, one in three Americans is considered to be pre-diabetic or diabetic, and in nine years, half are projected to be. So we're sitting at five years, and we're already at half when we were in 2016 predicting it to take nine years. Mm-hmm. So that just shows we are exponentially, you know, creating this diabetes and blood sugar issue, mm-hmm. um, and we can change. We have the tools to change. Real, healthy food in balance. Yep. So why is it going so fast? It's because we love sugar. We love sweet. And because of this, we and we mentioned earlier, our bodies are hardwired for that sweet taste. But what I find even more interesting, knowing that people, because people are drawn to sweet, the large food companies developed 56 56 different types of sugar to add to their foods to increase sales. Certainly their foods taste good and their food is very convenient, but they're typically high in sugar and it might not be the added sugar. We're looking at carbohydrates Mm -hmm. too. So that total carbohydrates on the food label. And so it's hard to stop. It's just one. The more we eat, the more we want and the higher our blood sugar numbers go. And over time, like we mentioned, high blood sugars turn into eventually prediabetes and then eventually into diabetes. And this really makes me think of those clients that come back, you know, we cut out sugar and they're, you know, we lower and we start eating in balance and they come back several months later and they've tried one of their favorite sugary foods, yes. you know, because you treat yourself every once in a while and they actually are like, oh, goodness, this is too sweet now. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't like it as much as I used to, and I can stay away from it. So it is that it's hope. That's what I'm trying to give people hope is if you cut it out, it gets easier and 
your taste buds change. Yes, absolutely. That's a great example. And I see that all the time too. Again, if people can even just stick with that for, you know, the lower sugar eating, lower carbohydrate eating, just even for a few weeks, it is amazing. Again, and we mentioned that before, just the progress that you can make, the taste buds can change. And then, yeah, so then when you try to go back to some of those old things or you have, you're in a situation where you are trying one of those old foods again, it just doesn't have quite that same hold anymore, which is what we want. We want to break that strong hold that sometimes Mm -hmm. sugar can have over us. So for those of you who are listening, if you've been diagnosed with prediabetes and diabetes, again, you might be asking, what should I eat to reduce my glucose numbers? Um, And before we talk about food, I do want to just give us some parameters of what is normal blood sugar and then where where do those cutoffs come in for pre-diabetes and type 2 diabetes. So a normal, what we would consider normal fasting glucose. So you haven't eaten for, you know, 8, 10, 12 hours or so. Normal fasting glucose is 99 milligram or, yeah, milligrams per deciliter or lower. So we want that number to be under 99. Pre-diabetes is between 100 to 125. And then type 2 diabetes is considered anything over 126. So I do want to come back and just discuss those numbers a little bit more on the other side of our third break. So hang with us. You are listening to Dishing Up Nutrition. Do you realize the average child sees 10,000 ads for junk food on TV each year? And now with children missing so much school this past year, my guess is that that number is even a little bit more than 10,000 ads per year. The food industry spends over $13 billion marketing high sugar processed foods and specifically to our children. And so from a very early age, children are exposed to these high sugar, overly processed foods. And as parents and grandparents who might be listening, what can you do to be a healthy role model for your children and grandchildren? We believe if you encourage cooking and eating real food at home, you will make a positive influence that will make a huge difference in your child's life. And we'll be right back. Welcome back to Dishing Up Nutrition. I'm pleased to announce that starting in September, we will be offering nutrition for weight loss classes again at all six of our locations. We will be back in person teaching these classes and we look forward to seeing you there. Our September 20th class will be offered at our Maple Grove office and our new Woodbury location. There are classes scheduled in Egan, St. Paul, Wyzetta, and North Oaks as well. Your nutrition educator will be wearing a mask, so we ask that you wear a mask as well. And we are limiting the number of people to provide for social distancing. So if you're interested in in in-person classes, please give us a call at 651 699 Three four three eight to sign up and save your spot today. And I will just give a plug that many people wonder, do we have classes for diabetes? And we obviously said, talked about the hour long class, but I think nutrition for weight loss is an amazing class mm-hmm. to help anyone that's struggling with their blood sugars. So pre-diabetes diagnosis, type two diabetes di- diagnosis, or if you think that you might have insulin resistance, it's a wonderful class. Yes, absolutely. I wholeheartedly agree with that. I can't tell you the number of times I've either had clients who are taking that series or the series I've been teaching that series. And I've heard 
clients talking about, you know, yes, they have type 2 diabetes or they're already on medications and things like that, that either they've reduced their medications or their blood sugars have normalized and, and such great success stories. And I mean, we have whole classes within that series that are dedicated to blood sugar balance and insulin resistance and going through those topics. So yes, it's, yes. it's a wonderful class for blood sugar control. So if you have diabetes or if you have a friend or family member that has diabetes, mm-hmm. grab them and take it together. Yes. Partnership is always great. Yes, absolutely. All right. So before we went to break, I was giving us, uh, giving us our listeners here just some numbers of, okay, what are those parameters of what is normal versus abnormal blood glucose look like? So I just wanted to run through those numbers again, one more time, very quickly. Normal fasting glucose is um, 99 milligrams per deciliter or lower. And when I'm counseling my clients, I often say too, like, I don't even really want you flirting, you know, flirting with the high end of that range. You know, when we see 98 or 97 numbers, yes, you're considered normal, but that's still probably a little too high for what we want. So uh, ideally, I like to say to my clients, we're aiming for maybe 70, the 80s or the low, low 90s, somewhere in there. Now, pre-diabetes is considered 100 to 125 milligrams per deciliter. And then anything over 126 milligrams per deciliter is is type 2 diabetes. And just, I know Nikki has shared a little bit about her personal story. My personal experience with some of this is actually, gosh, I was thinking back. It's probably about 12 years ago now. Uh, I had um, a couple years, I did my physical and I had two years in a row where my blood sugar numbers were floating in that pre-diabetic range. You know, they weren't at the 125, but they were definitely over 100. I think I was around 105, 107. That was two years in a row. And my provider at the time actually put me on metformin for a little while. So metformin is one of those kind of primary first lines of defense type of medications to lower blood sugars. But thinking about that now, thinking back, I absolutely know where those high blood sugar numbers were coming from. I know at that time I was the low fat, no fat queen of everything, like everything. I was going for everything that had that low fat or reduced fat or no fat label on there. And I was eating a decent amount of protein. But when you cut that fat out, then you're probably making up a lot of that missing fat with extra carbohydrates, too. And without that balancing effect of the fat, fat, I know absolutely that those were affecting my blood sugars. And it was starting to show up in my lab work in my early 20s. Wow. Yeah, that's a great story, Leah. And I think Mm -hmm. a lot of people can relate to that. And I also think, hey, it happens to us dietitians too. Yeah, so. absolutely. So if you're looking at um, another lab number that your doctor might give you on your lab report, um, hemoglobin A1C, that's a number which is the average blood sugar number over three months. So normal uh, hemoglobin A1C is 5.7% or below. So that comes in a percentage. Mm-hmm. Prediabetes A1C is 57 to 6.4%. And then the diabetic range of hemoglobin A1C is over 6.5%. So here's an example for you. If your fasting blood glucose number is 123, it indicates that you are pre-diabetic. So you need to make changes now, like Leah was mentioning, um, in your diet. And so Leah, let's talk a little bit about maybe the best food choices to lower that number. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, a a lot of our longtime listeners will know we talk about those three main macronutrients. We talk about our fats, 
our proteins, our carbohydrates, or we sometimes we call them our PFC. So we know that fats, let's start with those fats like butter, olive oil, bacon grease, avocado oil, and other good fats, they do not have an effect on our blood sugar. In fact, they so they do not raise our glucose number. They actually keep our blood glucose stabilized in a good place. So I would encourage you to start thinking about with your meals, start choosing those good fats and incorporating a tablespoon of some of those good natural fats. And so we gave some examples of things like butter, olive oil, avocado oil. That would be about a tablespoon. Otherwise, about a half of an avocado is about the equivalent of a tablespoon of oil or butter. Um, And same thing, about two tablespoons of peanut butter or almond butter, those nut butters, that'll get you right in that same ballpark. So we want good fats to anchor those blood sugars. We want some protein in there. Protein affects the blood sugar a little bit, but usually not very much. So adding three to four ounces of some meat, fish, eggs, add that to the fat. So maybe that's a couple of eggs, those two ounces of pork or turkey sausage that we mentioned earlier. And then we have our carbohydrates. So all carbohydrates do break down into sugar in the body, but some do so more than others and some do so faster than others. So our vegetables or or the things that we pull out of the ground tend to have a much lower effect on our blood sugar. So if we combine, say, some of that sausage and had cooked that up in some butter, uh, put some green beans on that plate and maybe a half a cup of carrots or a half a cup of black beans or a half a cup of some of those leftover roasted potatoes. That's just enough to give you that normal blood sugar. Again, give you that little boost in energy, bump up that blood sugar just a little bit, but not too much so that you're spiking blood sugar or that you're crashing later on. So listeners, the food is really important. Obviously, we're just going about that. But another important top, uh, part of this blood sugar control is timing of when you eat. So if you develop a mindset that every three hours you will eat, just like how Leah described, the protein, the healthy fats, a little bit of carb, vegetable carb, a little starch, and you eat you know, the tablespoon of natural good fat, the three to four ounces of proteins, vegetables, you will see your high fasting blood glucose sugar level come back down to the normal range. And we've seen that clinically over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Yep, clinically and in those classes. Yep, absolutely. Lots of clients notice their blood sugars start to normalize. All right. Well, Nikki, this is a huge topic. We could talk about this for three more hours, but Mm -hmm. unfortunately, we don't have the time to do that. We'll have to do another show. So for our listeners, our goal at Nutritional Weight and Wellness is to help each and every person experience better health through eating real food. It's a simple but yet powerful message that eating real food is life changing. Thank you for joining us and have a fabulous day.